Hello and welcome to the Minds in the Frontline podcast, brought to you by the Frontline Strong Together 5 program. FST5 provides streamlined access to behavioral and mental health services, as well as crisis resources for Michigan's Frontline 5 workers and their families. This includes all professional, part-time, and volunteer firefighters, EMS, law enforcement, corrections officers, and 911 dispatchers in Michigan, and their immediate family members. FST5 was collaboratively created by first responders and mental health experts to provide 24-7 live support, effective resources, and cutting-edge services to prevent and alleviate PTSD, anxiety, depression, and other frontline work-related mental and behavioral health challenges. Need help now? If you are a frontline worker in Michigan or an immediate family member experiencing any crisis, work-related, substance abuse, depression, relationships, finances, or any other, reach out by calling 1-833-34-STRONG or go to fst5.org for more information. I'm Jeff Lassers, one of the hosts of the Minds on the Frontline podcast, and I'm a professional firefighter, paramedic, educator, and content creator. Minds on the Front Line is co-hosted by Mike Mattern, who is also a professional firefighter and paramedic. In addition, Mike is a peer support team member for his fire department and the Frontline Strong Together 5 program, as well as the chair of the Michigan Professional Firefighters Union Behavioral Health Committee and a board member of the Michigan Crisis Response Association. Mike has training and experience with frontline worker mental and behavioral health. On the other hand, I do not. My role is to produce the show, whereas Mike is our resident subject matter expert. Together, we hope to inform, educate, and entertain frontline workers, their families, and the public regarding the realities of frontline work-related mental and behavioral health challenges. Today, we welcome Christy Burris and Susan Andary, who are the SISM coordinators for the Central Upper Peninsula SISM team. Christy Burris is a retired dispatcher and a former firefighter and paramedic. Susan Andary is an advanced EMT with UP Health Systems in Marquette, Michigan. As residents, frontline workers, and peer support team members in Michigan's Upper Peninsula, Christy and Susan know firsthand about living and working in rural America. During this episode, our guests will discuss the challenges of providing peer support and SISM to frontline workers in rural communities. This was a great episode, and we really enjoyed having Christy and Susan on the show. Please check out our YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook, and make sure you like and subscribe to all Minds in the Frontline podcast social media channels. Thank you. And enjoy the show. Good morning, ladies. How are you? Good morning. We're good. Morning. good. morning. Thanks for coming. Thanks for inviting us. Yeah, You're thank welcome. You. Thanks for coming all the way down here. <laughs> it is a long drive. How long is it? Seven hours. Seven hours. Seven hours. Oh, boy. Well, it's, it's a big state in the sense that you got to go around a lot of different things. It's not like you can just go right across the lakes. <laughs> where true. you're coming from. You're not coming by helicopter or plane. You're going by car. And that coming from the upper peninsula of Michigan can definitely have its challenges, right? Right. Sure but I did can. stop in Gaylord for sushi on my way. So that was perfect. I mean, if I had a nickel for every time I stopped in Gaylord for yeah. sushi. I mean, I, I believe that's a hotbed for. <laughs> Is that local fare? Yeah. <laughs> I know. So it's like, I was like, you know, whitefish or perch sushi. Oh, kidding. oh totally kidding. Oh, wow. And I oh stopped my. in Gaylord for the Alpine Chocolate House. So two different. I, didn't know, I didn't know Gaylord was such a hot. Like, it was uh, a hotbed. Yeah. It looks like we're going uh, up north in this. I spring. guess so, man. All right, Susan, why don't you kick us off? Tell everybody who you are, what you do, and where you do it. I am Susan Andary. I am an advanced EMT with UP Health Systems in Marquette, Michigan, and Bell up in Ishmael, Michigan. And I've been doing that for 12 years now. And I'm also one of the coordinators for the Central UP Critical Incident Stress Management Team and Peer Support Team, as well as a Frontline Strong Peer. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us today, coming all yep. this way in person, too. That's really great. Thank you. 
Christy, same question. Who are you? What do you do? Where do you do it? I'm Christy Burris. I'm also one of the co-coordinators for the Central UP SISM team and a peer support for Frontline Strong. I am a retired dispatcher recently after 25 years up in Marquette County Central Dispatch and I've had previous experience with uh, being a volunteer firefighter and a paid paramedic out on the East Coast. Right on. Right well, on. Congratulations so, on your retirement. Yeah, most Thank importantly, you. you survived retirement out of a dispatch center. Yes, that's yeah. a very rare thing. So, so now you're catching up on all that vitamin D from being in the basement. Because dispatch centers have to be in basements for some reason. Ours is not currently, but apparently it's going to be. Oh, oh great. Yeah. Oh, good. And it's a bad idea. Yeah, we were it's talking about this. Why not a nice terrarium, some natural light? It makes the most sense for mental health well-being. You've got to have light. You've got to have it. But no, unfortunately, nobody listens to the uh, bottom-dwelling but what they Mushroom should listen livers. to is the previous episode with Dr. A and yeah. Dr. King, because yeah. we, yes. we actually talk about that. Yeah, that we got to get some of these architects to start talking yes. to Dr. King, right. <laughs> make decisions that we're to stick uh, dispatch. Okay, so let's get right into it. You guys both have uh, significant backgrounds in the frontline communities, most importantly in the rural communities, right? So you guys represent the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Specifically, you serve the central part of the Upper Peninsula. Yes. And for those people who are listening that are not familiar or from Michigan, our UP is our most rural area of our entire two-part state. So when you cross that bridge and you go up north, you see a heck of a lot less people. So with that, you're going to have a heck of a lot less infrastructure for anything, including your 911 systems. So if there's a lack of first responders in the UP, there's probably a lack of support for those people in the UP, and that's where you guys come into play. But before we get into all that, what's your origin story in becoming a first responder and then leading up to how you got here in the peer support business? I actually, I moved out east when I was 21 and I was working as a nanny and I decided I needed to do something more. So I went to, you know, I became a firefighter, volunteer firefighter, uh, paramedic. And then about eight years after that, I moved back here. At that point, there was no openings for that and I was a little burned out. So I just joined dispatch thinking that I would do that for a few years until I decided to go further with my EMS. Anyway, 25 years later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and in building up to that, I knew we had, I had heard we had a SISM team, but I didn't know much about it. And there was never any, what I thought was a need because we were always told, you know, the line, suck it up, deal with it. This is your job. This is what you're supposed to hear, see, feel, that kind of thing. And I had, because I wanted to be one of the guys. And I literally, and this is kind of my line, I I literally became dead inside. I didn't care. I didn't care about me. I cared about my people on the road and keeping them safe. But otherwise, I I didn't care about anything. And I needed to find that light again. And I saw people around me suffering. I saw friends. I saw coworkers that were nearly suicidal or suicidal. And myself... I needed to find a light. So I had heard about this SISM team, and I went and I took the Grin class, and that started to light that spark. Oh, so they kind of brought you back to the why you're here in the first responder community. Correct. Yeah, you know, a lot get- of us in the first responder community, every, I think it's like seven years, we need a new thing to kind of keep it going because mm-hmm. just going on calls doesn't do it. In fact, it can break your brain a little bit, even if they're not really intense emotional calls. Just the constant moving of sick people or putting out fires or chasing bad guys or watching people in the jails, that just wears on you. You just need a new challenge. Yeah. 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 
And that's why I think promotions are so busy, even if they're lateral. <laughs> you yeah, just no, got to change just, up what you do. Yes. yes, it gets very monotonous. Yeah. Okay, so you kind of got led into that. It kind of found you in a way. Correct. You said you were voluntold to do the job, but at the same time, being involved, right. you, you found interest and in, in really a good relation to that. Yeah, we started. I started with the team and uh, you know, and as a, just a team member. And mm-hmm. it wasn't that long before that you're abusing your into, your organizational skills. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It got it transformed into you guys are going to run the team and we're going to step back. All right, Susan, same question. Your origin story, becoming a first responder and then getting involved in peer support. So my origin story goes actually back quite a ways into the 90s um, when I was actually going to ref a volleyball tournament. And we had three of our refs there and we were waiting for our fourth one to arrive on scene. And they weren't there, weren't there. And finally, she goes to pull into the parking lot to pull in and she gets hit head on by another truck. And at that moment, you know, there was three of us there. And you, you have three kind of people. One freezes, one runs the opposite way, and then for whatever reason, I felt compelled to go and go into the truck and help get her out. And I remember clearly that day as she was had 85 stitches in her face, um, the paramedic on scene that day said, have you ever thought about doing this as a living? And I said, oh, no. I was terrified of what was actually happening, but I knew I couldn't just leave her there. And so fast forward um, several years later, um, I was actually in another career for quite a long time. And I thought, you know, I always wanted to do that. And so when I knew my job in the pharmaceutical industry was going to be ending, I thought, you know, I'm going to take that EMT class just as just for the hell of it as a plan B. Never did I think that I'd work full time in it. And never did I think I'd work this many years in it. But uh, very glad I do. It's the most rewarding thing I've ever done. And then getting involved in the SISM team, like Chrissy said, I was just getting involved because it seemed like the right thing to do to be able to help people. And being that I have a history of in uh, 2006, I actually had three ways and I was going to kill myself. And that shocked some people. But in the same token, I realized that the help that I was able to get could possibly help others. And I really didn't think it would be people in our area because people in our area wouldn't be as stressed as they are in bigger cities. But then we quickly realized that there are people everywhere that are struggling. So when we were voluntold to take over this team, Christy and I kind of looked at each other like, okay, we don't have a clue what we're going to do and how to do it, but we're going to figure it out and we're going to figure it out together. So it's been amazingly rewarding. When you realize that first responders are not unique and they go through just as many behavioral and mental health issues when we experience bad stuff, and we just happen to have a higher dose and duration of bad stuff. We'll just categorize it that way. When did you realize it was real life, that that magnitude was bigger for first responders? Was it that personal situation that you went through, and was that from your career? Mine was actually not from a first responder career. Mine was from, I think, the high stress I had in my sales job that I did for so many years as well as I had a two-and-a-half-year-old at home and screamed and wouldn't Yeah, I got a two-and-a-half-year-old. I get yeah. And they're great. Isn't it yeah. amazing when they're perfect children, they're yeah. still, like, really hard? Yeah. <laughs> what he, are hard kids like? Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to know. Yeah, and he didn't talk a word until he was over three years old, right? And so everybody's thinking, oh, does he have autism? Do you guys have this? And so we're doing all this testing, and it came back. He did not have autism. But at the same token, we're like, okay, well, what the hell is it? And so I think – 
that in company with the fact I got diagnosed with postpartum depression. Yeah. But at the same time, I had no idea that that's what I had. I just knew that I was running out of the house every day with a Coke and a Snickers bar. Right. Trying to, <laughs> not, needless to say, don't drink any caffeine anymore. But, and then my anxiety was through the roof, and I was thinking nobody would notice if I wasn't here. It's just a matter of trying to get through the day and get through the week and then go home to that screaming child and bless his heart he's wonderful now he's almost 20 <laughs> and it was a long several years that it was not easy so it takes a while sometimes for things to normalize you know we're all people in all different stages some of us get there quicker than others and then right you tell the story about man when you were three you were paying the butt <laughs> oh yeah when he was three we said we would never take him to a restaurant until he was at least 18 it was terrible <laughs> and now he's a chef right so oh, well. yeah we actually did take him to restaurants before then so you obviously experienced how normal life how normal people and normal problems add up to some of the worst feelings you could possibly have about yourself. Absolutely. So uh, correlate that to what you saw in the field and feeling compelled to become a peer supporter. Did you see the correlation and how other people were suffering? Be like, um, let me try to help. Oh, absolutely. Well, you know, when I was going through it, I, like I said, I didn't even know I was going through it. And it wasn't until about the last year when I started talking about my story and when my family and my friends were like, why didn't you ever say anything? Cause they still, until this past year, they had no idea that I had been going through these things. Luckily, by the grace of God, I got intervention. Something came on the radio that day, and I'm like, oh, shit, I'm not the only one that has going through this. And so I went through a program, and actually it was back on the days of CDs. So I listened to the CD every day in my car about stress and anxiety, and I'm like, oh, if I can cut out caffeine, my anxiety will go down by this much. It really worked. So I started you know, taking all the coping skills that they would teach me. and But yeah, then doing this peer support thing in the SISM. And like you said, SISM, we don't use th that often, but the peer support is so many. I think between Christy and I, I think we've got over 30 peer supporters that, peers that we've helped along the way. And there's nothing more rewarding than seeing them go from that post-traumatic stress, like I was in back in the 90s, to post-traumatic growth. There's nothing more rewarding than that. Yeah, it's amazing. Even if you don't get diagnosed with PTSD or the constant aggravation of not having relief is agonizing. Absolutely. And you don't need to be, you don't need to have PTSD and clinical depression to feel crazy. You just need something to nag at you every day that is of medium magnitude that still can have a big way in your life that everybody else is like, it's not that big a deal. But it's every day. Absolutely. And that the time you're going through it, you feel like you're the only one that's going through it. In reality, you know, we transport with EMS, as you guys probably have in the past, we transport people that are suicidal all of the time. Oh, yeah. And fortunately, from the UP, sometimes your transport time is seven hours. So as you're spending time in the ambulance with this person, and the underlying theme is, they number one, they think they're the only ones that are going through it. They think they're crazy. They think there's no help. And they think the only way is for them to kill themselves. But in reality, that's such a permanent solution to a very temporary problem. And if you can just give them something to give them some hope to take in the coping skills that they're going to be taught, they're going to get through it. And just knowing to give them that hope and see that hope on their face is incredible. Absolutely. Christy, same question. When did you realize that behavioral and mental health issues are real life concerns for frontline workers? Did you have such a personal experience or did you just witness it through other people? Well, I mean, I had my own experience, as I said, with the uh, 
feeling dead inside and looking. I had to look for something to give me that spark when I'm answering these phone calls. And I want, I got the people help they needed. I did the job that I was supposed to do, but that care was gone. Yeah. I know, yeah. I feel you there. Yeah. Once in a while you do the same thing over and over again and you get this uh, compassion fatigue mm-hmm. or I'll do the job. I'm not going to miss anything. You're going to get all the right drugs. I'm going to do all the things, but it's going to be done by a robot. Right. <laughs> and that was exactly it. And I, I felt removed from it. And I'm watching other people around me and I'm seeing the same thing, whether they're firefighters or EMS or dispatchers. I even took a call from a couple dispatchers that were having issues and to the point where they were seeing things. So you're having that mental break and you're like, well, I need to be able to help this person. And people did turn to me, you know, for, I guess, peer support before I knew it was peer support. And we would talk and I realized that's just something more needed to, something more needed to be done. You know, it wasn't until just a few years ago when we met Mike, Kobe, and Manisha at the MCRA conference that we were hearing the stories about the suicides and the first responders. And, of course, we're like, holy cow, is this really happening? Because it's certainly not happening in our area. And we took the suicide writ class from this guy. You know, he says he's a firefighter um, from Dearborn, and we didn't know what to expect from him, but it ended up being really, really good information now, now that we use on a daily basis. But it wasn't long after that, actually this past year, that we were asked to come in and talk to a group, um, a hospital-based EMS group, that had lost one of their own in the UP to suicide. And that was a real eye-opener because it almost was like we let them down because we hadn't gotten to them to talk to them about the stresses that the the frontline job can put them under. Um, In essence, now there's been multiple um, suicides of first responders in the UP, and it is our goal to make sure that that doesn't happen again. And we're going to, you know, front load it and go into different departments. And Christine and I already started doing that with our SISM team, just kind of saying, hey, you know, the other crew that was used to be doing this team now is, is kind of stepped back and retired. And um, we just wanted to let you know there's new faces with the team and this is how you can access us. But now that we're doing frontline, too, we're covering 17 counties. And so all, we feel like all of those first responders in every single one of those counties in the UP are our responsibility. We want to make sure they've got all of the tools that they can use. Absolutely. And I think it's one of those things where everybody thinks it's not going to happen or it's not happening where they are until it's on their front door. Yep. Mm -hmm. You know, and then all of a sudden it's like a reaction to it. You know, everybody's saying, oh, well, we got to do something. We got to do something. And what you touched on and and both of you guys have touched on is that you guys are going out preemptively to say, hey, listen, look out for this. Look out for this. These are the resources available. And unfortunately, I mean, we all know here, there's still going to be people who unfortunately still complete. But I think with the steps that, that even two years, I, I got to imagine there's been a reduction in all of that just based on what you guys are talking about going out preemptively, giving those people a place to go, letting them know it's okay, talking about it, getting it out there. So, I mean, I, I commend you guys for doing that because it's something that has started here recently and you guys are doing it on a way different scale than than how we even do it down here in southeast michigan we're we're a very small populated densely populated area you guys are doing it across the upper peninsula 15 counties and 15 counties yes so talking to a couple city guys here what are some of the challenges that you guys deal with in the upper peninsula when it comes to peer support, SISM, those types of things that we may not necessarily right. think of because we come from an area that we're, we're blessed to have 
a lot of resources in our area where everybody's usually a union department or whatever. Whereas you guys are in an area that probably has volunteers, a lot of volunteers, a lot of paid on call, not necessarily the full-time people that go out there. And even talking about it, I'm sure you don't have the large departments. You have the smaller departments. I think probably one of the big ones is getting our people in one location if there is an incident. The system has always been, we're not ambulance chasers. We all hear that. And we're not. But we will reach out if there's an incident. We're going to reach out to the chief or the assistant chief or whoever it might be and say, hey, we heard this happened. Let us know if you need anything. Now, as for our peer support, where we're going around to the 17 counties that we have for Frontline, it's amazing to, to watch them. We try to get there on their training nights. We sit down, we talk to them. But if you have an incident, getting everybody in one spot, because you say you have a small department with maybe 10, 15 members, they're working. You know, they, they might have a response area that's hours big. So you got to get them into that, back to that station to talk to them, to even to present the peer part. That's probably one of the biggest things is just getting everybody there at once because, you know, you have lives and most of them are volunteer. It's kind of hard to nail everybody down and get them there and help them to understand that, yeah, you are in a small area, but you have the same stuff because they're looking at you guys. They're looking at the big cities and going, well, we don't have the mass shootings. We don't have the murders. We don't have, you know, all these horrendous things happening, but they do. And they know the people who are involved. Yeah, well, at least if they don't have the what they think could cause the problem, doesn't mean they don't have the problem. Right. So many people assume that there's these situations that, well, I'm not under those conditions, so I couldn't possibly have this affliction. Mm-hmm. Whereas people don't understand where it comes from. And, you know, and a lot of people suffer from things that are a combination of their personal life and their professional life, and they're synergizing to create the bad problem. Mm-hmm. You don't need to have, you know, work in a city of Detroit or uh even, uh, you know, uh, Baltimore to say, well, that's a really tough place to work. I have PTSD. You could work in the nicest places in the world. And the constant monotony of the first responder life can weigh on you. Well, I think another part of it is being in the smaller communities, whereas we may have 110,000 people that we take care of, the smaller communities up there necessarily have a smaller response area. I mean, population-wise. Yeah. So the people who you're responding to, you're also closer with because it's such a tight-knit community or it's a smaller community. And you don't necessarily have to have those murders, those gunshot wounds, those whatever. We take care of a lot of people. We have no idea who they are. We have no connection to them. Whereas in these more rural communities up there, and correct me if I'm wrong, that, I think, weighs on them just as much as the murders and the all that because there's that personal connection that's attached onto them. So Susan, what's some of the stuff that you saw that's been a challenge? I'm actually glad you brought up the small communities and knowing people. Um, we actually talked about this Thursday night. I presented at a Menominee County uh, Fires Association meeting. That was one of the things that we talked about. And that when, these are 90% volunteers, right? And they're in small towns. It's a blessing and it's a curse. It's a blessing because these, the small volunteer agencies can get to them a lot quicker than the ALS agencies can. So it makes the people in the communities feel comfortable. But at the same time, it's a curse because if bad stuff's happening, they see it all and they take it to heart. And the families know them and they're yelling and screaming at them saying, save my grandma, save my grandma. Come on, Joe, you, got to, you know this family, you got to save this person. But it's a lot of pressure on them. And then Joe's actually got to go to the grocery store next week and see the family. And you do. Right. You know, and there's right. that connection, you know, right. looking at it from the outside, you know, looking 
in. That, that's what I see for you guys is I, I don't – I couldn't go on all the runs and know everybody. That would just tear me up, right? you know, in that aspect. So, I mean, it, it's one of those things. But, uh, I mean, talk about, like, the distance – Let's talk about the weather up there mm-hmm. as well. That's got to be Let's a challenge. Let's talk about the six inches of snow that we're supposed to be getting tonight on October 30th. It's it's very common for Christy and I to think about Halloween and think about going out in snow. Yeah, we're almost always out in the snow. Working but. front line and covering 15 counties and 16,000 square miles in the winter is going to be a challenge for us. Yes, and that's under gonna. the best of circumstances. That's just providing normal services yes. of 911. Yeah. It just makes it that much harder. Then you get a six, seven-hour transport depending on what you're doing. Right. And then one of your cogs has a problem. And then you're looking at even longer because the person's waiting. And one of the things that Susan said, and you also brought up was, and I recently had a peer support with a group, and they brought up, and we hear this all the time, is they go on a call, and all of a sudden they come back from the call, or not even back, and they're getting a text going, hey, was that so-and-so's house? Hey, what happened to so-and-so? What's going on there? What did you do? What did you do wrong? You know, you got the whole community and they know who they're bashing. Yeah. You know, it's not like this big, grand organization, like it'd be Detroit PD or Muskegon Fire or whatever it might be. You're going to individual people, and you're saying, why did you let that person go? Why did you let that person die? And they're taking that to heart, and they're going, well, I knew I knew that little girl. I knew her, she was a little girl, and she was a wonderful little person, and then she you know, she got sick, and or she had a drug issue, and we're hearing about why we didn't get her get her help and get her better. And they're, they're using names and they're using Because it's a more personal touch in these rural middle America communities. So like you're, in, mm-hmm. you're basically in anywhere USA. It snows more where you're at, but it is anywhere <laughs> USA in the fact of like there's not a lot going on in the fact of it's not super populated. This is something that we face in a majority of the actual square footage of this great country. And unfortunately it comes with those challenges and they get that personal touch more, which is great. In a lot of circumstances, but when times are tough, it tends to be magnified. It does. And like Susan said, you know, the long transports. I was on a phone once with a woman for 45 minutes. She had phoned her husband deceased, and thankfully we weren't that busy. But I had to stay on the phone, coming up with things to talk to them about. I learned her whole story of her and her husband's love life and where they had gone and where they had been. And you have to learn to connect and be that connection. There was times when I'd get a phone call and I would know I'd see on that screen, I know I know this person and I'd be, thank God they don't recognize my voice. Wow. Yeah, I don't even think about that. You know, I work in a city with 70,000 people in it. Yeah. You know, and I live 20 minutes from there. And there's another 30,000 people in that town and a couple hundred thousand in between there. Yeah, thankfully I have, I mean, I have some good friends and even they would hear about the call and they wouldn't say, friend wouldn't text me and go, oh, hey, what happened? There should be, hey, are you okay? That's why we're there. We're looking out for each other. And, and we don't care if it's the big city or the small city. We just want people to get help and get better. And that's why we're getting out there and telling. And, and you watch that realization when we're giving that presentation of how are you doing and this is how I felt. And you watch that, like I said, that realization come over their face of, oh, my God, I'm not the only one that feels that way. I thought that I was. Right. I thought that was the only one that had the inner monologue that would not stop. And to see that in the presentation and you can see like exactly what she said. It's pretty powerful. And then I always gauge when we I do a presentation, can't speak for Christy, but I always gauge in the next couple of days afterwards, how many of those people that were in that group reached out. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting because the other night when I did the big one, I was thinking, okay, I wonder how they think that it went. Cause I think it went really well. And you could see that the changes in the people when they listened to more of the presentation and I actually got two phone calls on the way back from that presentation. Cause it was a two hour drive back home. Mm-hmm. 
So I'm like, oh, you know what? And they both want to set things up and set up further meetings and then take that information they learned at that meeting back to their individual departments. And to me, that's success. And if they've had bad things happen in their departments, we want to be able to help them so that they don't have any more bad things. With that being said, I mean, you guys have given us a lot of good information. Like if somebody's looking at a rural area, when we talk about resources, we talk about clinicians, how would somebody who's in that rural area go about finding those resources? Because it's not like in, in the Metro Detroit area where you can throw a cat and hit one. You know, I could literally not that we're open gonna up. We're going to not throw a cat. We're though, not going to throw a cat, but we could yeah. throw cats. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. They get a little like that weird sound when you throw them. Um, yeah, they don't like but it. yeah, I mean, you could pull out your your Google machine and go, you know, Southeast Michigan yep. clinical therapists, and that the whole thing's red from lighting up. But, but I bet you go to the UP, there's not so many little flags that pop up on my Google Maker. It's actually <laughs> really interesting in the sense that you say that because when we pull up the fst5.org website and you go under providers. And you click on the UP, no matter if it's the east end of the UP or the west end of the UP, it says Wayne State University. Yeah. We're working on that. So, I mean, they do go everywhere, though. Right. They do. They they will Zoom with you anywhere. And Wayne State is a wonderful resource. But the first thing, and I always preemptively bring this up to them, I said, I know you're saying Wayne State. Do you know how far Detroit is from Menominee? From Baraga. And we like to be comfortable with our local institutions. Right. So when you tell me some outside agency is right. going to come in and help me, there's always, no matter if it's Superman showing up, you're going to have some apprehension, especially from our communities, mm-hmm. right? Right. So how do you dissolve that wall to have them reach out to anybody knowing there's really no yeah. one up there? And how well, do you find the culturally competent right. clinicians up there? We have ones that we know are personally culturally competent, and we're working on getting those vetted through Frontline Strong. But like you said, you open up that and you see, and there are a lot, but there's so many that are overloaded and overworked and not taking new patients. What we do is we try to tell them, like these people that are that you can Zoom with through Frontline Strong are culturally competent. They have been vetted. They're here for you. So that is a perk. But yes, we some people want to see people face-to-face. So we're working on getting the ones that we know or that we think might be culturally competent, yeah. vetted and cleared, so that if somebody does want to go up and see someone face-to-face, they can. I, mean, I, I prefer <laughs> face-to-face in mm-hmm. these circumstances, yeah, I, but I sometimes too. you can't. You just got to schedule it. You got kids. You got a life. You got distance. You know. But, you know, you're, you're, you're in Rock, Michigan, and you need to talk to somebody, and you want to talk to somebody face-to-face. You're looking, you know, 45 minutes. Okay, well, I got to get on my day off. Well, my days off are only Saturday and Sunday. So, Your one-hour <laughs> session's costing you five hours of logistics. Yeah. Right. I'm not going to be able to get up there till 6 o'clock at night. They're not open. So you do have a lot of those kind of issues also. But to go continue on about the Wayne State thing, it's like you just say, hey, you can meet with them from the privacy of your own home, face-to-face, over a Zoom call, and that therapist is in your living room now. So, and the fact that there's no cost to you by going through Wayne State, it's a big perk. Yes. A lot of people, I, th- I would like to know the numbers, but I think people have taken them up. I know that people I've talked to at my presentations, you know, have taken that number and, and gone with it. So it sounds like spreading the words probably the most powerful thing. Just Absolutely. like everywhere else. So like the the commonality between whether it's urban, suburban, or rural is let's keep talking about it. Take away the stigma yeah. and then uh, identify current existing resources and go get more. Yeah, like I don't know. Mike and I are real, real, real lucky. I call Mike and be like, dude, I'm having a problem. Can I talk to you, another peer, or can you hook me up with a clinical with a clinician? Mm-hmm. 
And it's pretty, like, I can get picky right down here. Uh, that guy, I didn't like it. I didn't like the way his shirt was stupid. I don't like that guy. I want to go to a different person. Oh, this lady's great. You can't really do that everywhere else. But it sounds like just keeping on the pedal of it's normal. You need to go get your checkup, just like you get yeah. your physical. And some people don't even do that. <laughs> so let's be honest. Some people don't take care of their normal stuff. So it makes it extra challenging. But, yeah, it's just it's keeping up with it. Well, that's what I was going to say is one of the things I've heard from, and I don't remember where I originally heard it, was the taking away the physical slash mental health and just calling it health. And another thing when I talk about my presentations is telling these guys, is like, hey, many of you, Go see your doctor every year, okay, or should, and you know that you should, your physical doctor. So there's nothing that changes with your brain. you got to keep your brain as healthy as you keep your body or you're all going to suffer. But getting rid of that physical slash mental health and just making it all health makes people, I think, where we can get to hopefully that point where they do change that mindset and they're just, oh, I'm just doing this for my health, period. Or they realize that all of it's connected Mm -hmm. and taking care of your body sometimes makes you feel a lot better. Yep. You know, I'm like, man, I feel great. Why? Well, I lost 20 pounds and I'm working out more and I'm outside twice as much. Weird. Weird how you feel better. It's amazing how that (laughs) I think we make light of it too when we start a presentation because you can look around the room and you know nobody wants to be there for this topic. Yeah. And so I'm like, how many of you guys are super excited about coming to this to learn about mental health tonight? And I said, oh, wait, I know no one's going to raise their hand. Yeah. But then I actually steal Christy's um, uh, presentation where she said, how many have been bothered by a bad call? And like two people raise their hand, and she looked at the rest of them in a big presentation. She goes, "And the rest of you are lying." Yeah, you're just not raising your hand. Yeah. I know. Which is and cool. it's you're not like, participating. It just makes them go, "Oh, yeah." And then later, I said, "You know, you may not come and talk to us after this presentation, but a lot of you will snag us in the parking lot, and I bet a lot of you are going to pick up the phone and make that phone call to us afterwards." Yeah. And we don't care when it is. We want to talk to you. We want to help you connect, make the connection, so that we can get you the help that you need. I love that. One of the Absolutely. great things about the, the presentations, too, is I've always end them with, hey, you know, your local SISM team needs you, uh, whether you be police, fire, EMS, you need your members. And I've had quite a few reach out and say, okay, how do I become part of that? And yes. again, thankfully, Frontline's able to do that via Zoom, and quite a few more of them are able to do that because they don't have to drive somewhere, they don't have to be somewhere. So they're getting a lot more excited, a lot more members because of that. Absolutely. That SISM training that's offered free through Frontline Strong is, it's amazing. Once again, do it in the privacy of your own home. It's free and it's easy. We would love to have SISM teams and peer support teams all over the state, not just all over the UP, but all over the state so that if somebody's struggling, you want somebody right there to be there with you. And the last part of it that I want to talk to you guys about, because I'm always interested to talk to other peer support SISM teams, see how you guys do it. One of the biggest things that, that we'd like to talk about is self-care. What, what do you guys as a team do to make sure that the team is taken care of? Well, recently we all did a, a, cider, a cider fest at one of our team members. We went there. We actually picked all the apples. We got the cider press. We pressed all the apples. And, you know, we had chili, everything. It was actually ended up being a 90-degree day. So we're like, pretend it's cold. Chili on a 90-degree day. Good call. Right. Well, it yeah. wasn't supposed to. It's yeah. the UP. It's not supposed to be 90 degrees <laughs> yeah, in true. September. That's true. But it was. Um, we, you know, as a team, when we meet, we try to be light. We try to have a little bit of fun. We've gone out together, and we're even looking at doing a team-building retreat. Awesome. That's we awesome. also have our clinicians on our team, too, that we can talk to at any time. Yes. Perfect. Awesome. Right on. Well, as we close out, 
Uh, tell everybody your website and how they can get a hold of you guys if they're in the UP and want to be a part of the peer support team. Our website is centralupcism.org, or you can go on the fst5.org website and go under peer teams in Region 8, and you will find our information. That's right. That's fantastic. Awesome. I and just one last thing. If you're struggling out there, please don't hesitate to call one eight three 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 four strong Get a hold of somebody from Frontline. We are here to help you and connect you to the resources that you need. 100%. Thank you, ladies. Thanks for coming down. Thanks, thank gentlemen. You. Nice shirts, by the way. These are thank awesome. Yes, Thanks nice for the shirts. shirts. We'd, like, we'd like to thank for the shirts. I'm representing the Mackinac. I got the chocolate. Mackinac Island Mackinac Fire Island and fire. chocolate yeah. fire. They're not allowed to have fire trucks. And they have steamers and, and uh, uh, horses pulling them. <laughs> Sounds good. It's man. a Michigan joke. Old school, bro. <laughs> People outside of Michigan don't get yeah, that they, they won't know. They won't understand that one. <laughs> All right. Have a good day. Have a good day. You guys too. Thank you to Christy Burris and Susan Ann Derry for joining us on the Minds on the Frontline podcast. We hope everyone enjoyed this episode. We have more great content coming out soon. Please check us out on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook, and make sure you like and subscribe to all Minds on the Frontline podcast social media channels. Thank you for listening and have a great day.